0: Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Romans, chapter number 12. Romans, chapter number 12. Um, since since we met together last week, we have primarily spent our time reading uh, out of the book of Romans. So for those who may be uh, new tonight or first time in a long time or, um, or, or whatever the case may be, may just be a guest with us. We are reading through a particular Bible plan together as a church or at least... I like to think we all are as a church, I'm not sure who uh, is reading with me or not, but I like to think we're all reading um, as a church, and we've just been going through pretty much the main points um, throughout Scripture, made it through the Old Testament, now working our way uh, through the New Testament. We will finish up Acts and kind of the missionary journeys um, of the Apostle Paul, and all that we have been reading is kind of in chronological order through the book of Acts as we've encountered the different groups that Paul has ministered to, and this week we've kind of looked looked at his ministry, not necessarily in Rome, you may not know this, but when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he had actually never met the church at Rome at that point. That church started on its own um, through other churches that had been planted, and Paul was writing to encourage the group that was there, even though he had never seen them before. So it's kind of an interesting um, uh, letter being one of the few places that Paul had not visited, though he wanted to. And so since we've been reading through the Bible together, this week we have read through Romans. And uh, I thought to myself, before we jump into some other things over the next few weeks, I did not want us to miss at least a little bit of time in the letter to the church at Rome. Now, to be honest with you, Romans is an, an incredible, incredible book. It is filled with... A lot of deep truths about who we are in Christ. And if you've been reading with us through today, we have finished Romans 12, which is what we're going to talk about tonight a little bit. But if you've been reading, uh, you've probably wrestled through some pretty difficult topics just like I have. Uh, You've read some things that maybe stirred uh, a little bit in your soul that maybe challenged a little bit about what you believe or a little bit about uh, what you know about God or maybe a little bit about how you practically live out your faith. Um, Today, in particular, um, the past two days have been some challenging passages of Scripture. Romans chapter 9 covers a lot of content that's difficult to understand. Romans 10 and 11, the comparison of Jews and Gentiles and what that will look like when Jesus comes back. There's a lot of really difficult text that we read in those chapters and so we could spend years uh, walking through the letter to the church at Rome but tonight we're just going to spend a few uh, minutes together in Romans chapter 12. Now before we jump into uh, the the scripture in Romans 12 I, I wanted to ask you a question what do you know about Christopher Columbus in case you're curious that is who that is on the screen, I'm not really sure if that's what he looked like, that one just fit really well into the picture frame that was on this particular template, so that's why uh, that's the picture that's there, it's for no other reason, but do you know anything about Christopher Columbus, humor me, he sailed the ocean blue, attaboy, in 1492, songs, I tell you, it's where education really lies, right? Some people say he discovered America. Not 100% certain on that, but. Uh, there we go. I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Christopher Columbus. I'm not a history buff, nor do I necessarily intend for us to have a large discussion about uh, Christopher Columbus. I just thought it would be interesting the things uh, that you might bring up about him. But there is a legend about Christopher Columbus, and maybe it's true. I don't know. Maybe it's a legend. People have different, uh, differing opinions on uh, how he came to do what he did. But in his day... The common belief was that the world was flat. In other words, if you were to sail to the horizon, you would sail to your death because you would fall off the face of the planet. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that still seems logical to me. Like at some point, it runs out and you would just fall, right? One day, Columbus was sitting under a tree, eating an orange and contemplating the idea that the world was flat. Just before he ate the orange, a butterfly, beautiful butterfly, landed on the orange. As he watched the butterfly, he was filled with wonder when he noticed the bug walking around the orange, even under the orange, without falling off the orange. He soon began to reason that the same force of nature, what we know now to be gravity, that kept the butterfly connected to his orange would keep him and his ship connected to the earth. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. I was not with Christopher Columbus when he had this encounter with both the orange and the butterfly. So regardless of what Columbus had always been told, his perspective, whether the story is true or not, changed in that moment. Rather than seeing the world like everyone else did, he could see the world as it actually is. But what's interesting about Christopher Columbus is that it didn't simply end with this knowledge or this perspective. His perspective changed and consequently he sailed past the horizon and discovered what we now call home. Or did he? Now, what does Chris's, that's what I would call him if we were friends, what does Chris's discovery have to do with us? Well, for me, it's simple, especially in the context of Romans chapter 12. The way we perceive things, the way we see things, shapes our reality. Simply said, the way in which we understand everything around us will define the way in which we act. If I could put it in simple terms, here's what I would say. If I can see everything as God sees it, then I will do as God says. If I will have the same perspective that God has on the world around me, it will make it a lot less challenging not just to see it, but to actually do it. If my perspective was like God's, I could truly see as he sees, and then I would certainly do as he says, because I would know the importance of my decisions, which leads me to our discussion tonight. How can I see as God sees so that I can do as he says? Well, I think Paul could not put it more clearly than he does in the beginning of Romans chapter 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I want us to look at it for just a few moments tonight. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now let's pause here on Romans 12, because there's a lot of things to unpack about what Paul's talking about. According to this verse, what is it that God desires from us? Sacrifice, right? Literally, we're to present ourselves as what? A living sacrifice. Now, does anybody else think that those two words contradict each other? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What do you think Paul means when he says, this is your spiritual worship? Let me, let me share the New Living Translation of the same verse. I think it just has some interesting uh, word choices that make this a little bit more sensible in our day and time. Here's how the New Living Translation puts Romans 12.1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, how many have you ever heard, when you see the word therefore, you do what? Anybody heard that phrase? You see what it's there for, Right. Paul's obviously pointing back to something in particular. The and so of the New Living Translation, I think, makes it a little bit more clearer. He has gone through Romans 1 through 11. He finds himself writing chapter number 12, and he reflects back on everything and says, and so, right? Like as if Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 wasn't heavy enough. He goes, because of all of that. In other words, If your perspective, if you will see the world like God describes it in Romans 1 through 11, if you will see it that way, then listen to me. You can present your bodies as living sacrifices. I want to point you to a couple of verses in chapter 11 that I think really drive home the idea of how it is possible for us to do this. Romans chapter 11, verses 30 through 31. Let me read them to you. This is also from the New Living Translation. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the theme of God's mercy runs over and over and over again throughout the book of Romans. It will do it in chapter 11. It will do it in chapter 12. It will continue to do it until Jesus comes back, and it will do it some more. God's mercy is the largest theme that we could rest on when we begin reading Romans chapter 12. The only reason why we can be living sacrifices is first because of the mercy of God. I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around statements like present your bodies as a living Sacrifice, But once we think of it in the context of chapter 11, it no longer becomes a struggle of how can I give up all that I am, but rather our only response to God is, man, I must give up everything that I am. This is why Paul begs, he appeals by the mercies of God. He is referring to God's mercy in accepting us as his children. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God. That's the theme in Romans 11. Now you're not rebels. Why? Because the mercy of God. Now the other people that receive mercy are the rebels because they rejected, but even they will get the mercy again because you received the mercy. Now they'll see the mercy. It just keeps revolving because we can do what we do, live how we live, present our bodies as living sacrifices because God's mercy has been so rich in accepting us as his children. The way I think about this best is like this. God didn't have to offer us salvation. We actually deserved death. If you were to jump back into Romans chapter 6, you would find another familiar passage of scripture in verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, you could word that another way, the mercies of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So for me, this is the first key to understanding how we can see as God sees. It's very simple. I didn't say it was easy, but it's very simple. We must surrender our lives to Him. This is why Paul wrote, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We learned some important truths about what it looks like to surrender our lives to God through our understanding of what sacrifices were. Now when you think about sacrifices from the Old Testament, what do you know? Something had to die, right? What else do you know? Absolutely, right? Wasn't exactly the, the the prettiest process at times, right? Had had over over. They had to be perfect. They had to be over and over. I heard another one. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. And they had to love. Oh yeah, it had to be the best, right? It had to be precious to them. I thought about the Old Testament sacrifices, and it made me put a little different spin on what I think Paul's trying to communicate to his readers in Rome, about what it means to be a living sacrifice to God. The first one was this one. Sacrifices were required, right? They had to be given. Blood had to be shed. Something had to be offered. They were required to be accepted by God. If I wanted to be in a right relationship with God, a sacrifice had to be made. You can't be half and half. You can't have God and have the world. There must be a choice to follow after God rather than the things that the world has to offer. I want to read a couple of verses to you back in Romans chapter 11. Here's what Paul wrote. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness of the severity of God. Think about that. The kindness and the severity of God. Once again, seems like it shouldn't go together. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. All I could think about when I'm processing through Romans 11 in the context of Romans chapter 12, is that we are required as sacrifices to surrender to God and trust in Him alone. We must continue to trust in Him. We are grafted in because of our faith in Him. We must continue to seek and surrender after Jesus. Sacrifices were required as it is of us as we trust in Jesus. Another thing that popped up was that sacrifices were particular. Y'all mentioned this as well. They had to meet a certain criteria to be received by God in the first place. Now, God accepts anyone who would come to him. However, there is a certain posture that people must come to before they surrender to God. They must come to him humble, broken, and desperate for what only he can do. Matter of fact, Romans 11, 23, Paul wrote, And even they if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. You said, Danny, why do you bring that up? Because Paul was quick to remind us that even the people who are now rejecting Jesus can still turn to him. All they have to do is turn from their rebellion and rejection and accept the life that Jesus offers. This is also true of us. Sacrifices were particular. They had to be a certain way, certain criteria. So are we when we come to God. Another one that popped in my mind was that sacrifices were the best. You mentioned this as well. They had to be the best that people had. If it was a lamb, it had to be without spot or without... We, too, must give our best to God. He desires it, and maybe more importantly than desires it, He deserves it. He's not simply a part of our lives. He is everything. I always think about how people try to open up ways that they can allow God to be a bigger part of their life, or how they can be more involved with God. Or how they can get closer to God, or what can I do that 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 maybe will allow God to have a little bit more access to my life and I think about people who want to have a little bit more who maybe haven 't realized that god's not trying to get you to let him come into the other portions of your life He wants everything that you have He wants the best he 's not there for a little bit he 's there for everything when we choose to follow Jesus, we choose to become a living sacrifice. Why? Because it is no longer our life, it is His, and we lay it down freely for Him. Don't forget what Paul said in Romans 11, 17 and 18. He said, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, if you are, Remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. I don't know if you remember this, but we are just a branch in the greater tree that is Jesus. We are not the root, just a branch. He is everything, and we are honored and amazed and humbled to even be a part of the tree. He is more than simply something you believe. He is everything. Sacrifices were The best sacrifices were also continuous. Somebody else mentioned that one, right? The people of God had to continually give their sacrifices to God in order to have forgiveness for their sins. Now, the beautiful thing for us is that we don't have to offer sacrifices for our sins anymore because Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. However, we still must make a decision every single day to serve Jesus with our lives. Sacrificing for Jesus is not a one-time thing. It is a daily commitment. Why? Because sometimes we lose focus, right? I've heard somebody say that even though we're filled with the Spirit, we got holes in us. And every day He runs out and we got to ask Him to fill us all over again, right? And the moment He fills us, He begins leaking out again. Why? Because we're broken. And sometimes we lose focus. We must make Jesus a priority every single day. Ultimately, we know that the only way we can gain is by losing. And by losing, we lose ourselves so that Jesus can become more and more. I was thinking about how we need to surrender our lives to Jesus. I was thinking about sacrifices And I thought back to my scripture reading time from Monday when I was reading in Romans 7 and 8. I don't know where you are in the reading plan, if you're using the app, or if you're like finished because you were ahead of the game, or if you got lost somewhere in the mix and now you just picked up somewhere where you like it. I don't know, but for me, I'm using that little PDF form and I'm trying my best to stick to it, even though sometimes I get a little lost as well. But for me, Monday was Romans 7 through Romans 8. And many of you will be familiar with Romans 7 and Romans 8, they're very Popular chapters in the Bible. The Apostle Paul's walking us through our daily struggle as Christians to battle against our flesh that wants us to walk after sinful desires. He's talking about the battle of the Spirit in us wanting Jesus and the flesh in us wanting the world and how we don't do what we want to do and we do what we don't want to do and it's just like, ah! like That's what I think Paul does. I don't think he writes it in there with whoever's translating for him. I don't think that's happening. But I think in that moment, he just screams for a second. Because that's the type of frustration that we oftentimes live in when we're trying to be a living sacrifice, but at the same time, we've got a sinful nature that's pushing us to go against God. And I love what he says toward the end of Romans chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. He comes to an incredible conclusion. He writes, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul isn't talking about giving his life to Jesus for salvation from his sins for all of eternity. No, no, listen, he certainly did that when he committed his life to Jesus. Paul's talking about how each and every day he must surrender to Jesus as a living sacrifice. Why? Because he can't walk after the Spirit without daily, moment by moment, yielding to the work of Jesus in his life. I don't think Paul could have been any clearer than to remind us that we must present our bodies as living sacrifices. It is up to us to place ourselves under the leadership of God every single day. Present everything you have to Him so that He can order every step you make and guide you through every decision that you face. All this talk about sacrifices is connected to the similarities of the Old Testament sacrifices. However, there's one major difference between the Old Testament sacrifices and the living sacrifice that Paul is referring to in Romans 12.1. One must die while the other must live. I was reading one of my favorite commentary writers. He said this about Romans 12, 1. He said, When the Holy Spirit has control of the body, he can express through the believer's members the fruits of Christ's sacrifice. The offering of the believer's body is therefore a living sacrifice in contrast with the sacrifices of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when a body was offered, an animal was slain. Now, when the believer offers his body, he begins... To really live. This is why Paul concludes verse 1, not just with us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, but doing it as our spiritual worship. Hymn writer several years ago, wrote it like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, shall have my heart, my life, my all. If we want to see as God sees, we must surrender our lives to him. However, it doesn't end with surrender. This is simply the beginning of the process. Look at verse 2. Good news is there's only two verses. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen to me. According to verse 2, how can we not be conformed to this world? What's got to happen? Renewing our mind, right? transformation must take place and it can only happen by renewal of your mind. So it leads us to this. How does that happen? How does renewal of our mind take place? Well, this is the second key to understanding how God sees. We certainly must surrender our lives to him, but also we must have our minds renewed by him. Seems to me like a lot of people think that once they become a Christian, everything else will just automatically happen. Don't you wish that was the case? Matter of fact, in staff meeting on Tuesday, the guys were sharing different things they've been reading in Scripture, and we all came to the same conclusion. We really wish that when we got saved, God just made us do everything right. It'd be a whole lot simpler that way, wouldn't it? But the truth is, is that surrendering isn't the end, it is simply the beginning. I wish that we would just instantly become close to God. I wish that it was as beautiful as 2 Corinthians 5.17 like we talked about last week. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I wish that was instantaneous. I wish that happened in that moment and it was done and, and the work in progress was over and I was exactly how God wanted me to be. But instead he had a different plan. He decided to leave me here in my imperfection so that the Spirit can continue to transform my life so that other people could experience the same mercy that I have experienced. What 2 Corinthians 5.17 doesn't key us in on is that the new comes in a process. Renewal is not instantaneous, it's a process of taking off old things and putting on new things. It's the process of removing the lies and replacing them with the truth. J.B. Phillips, he translates the verse, do not be conformed to this world. That phrase, here's how he translates it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Isn't that what happens in life? I mean, seriously, for all the seasoned Christians in the room, right? doesn't mean you have to be old. It just means you know Jesus, all right? How often can you say this is exactly what the world tries to do? It tries to put all of us in a mold and make us sinful like it is. That is the devil's greatest desire. He certainly does not want our minds to be renewed every single day. But Paul says, listen, you got to fight against that mold. you got to push against that squeezing. you got to make sure that you don't get sucked in where everything else is getting sucked in. How? By renewing your mind. Colossians 3, Paul wrote this to the church. He said, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How in the world are we going to put on the new and get rid of the old? It's by being renewed in the knowledge of our creator. Listen, we don't want to be like the world anymore. At least I hope you don't. We have been changed by Jesus. Our choices and decisions should be based on Him and not on our own worldly sinful lives anymore. But when people give their lives to Jesus, it doesn't mean that every bad thing and every sinful desire goes away. Doesn't mean that all your lustful thoughts will be gone. You'll still wake up the next day battling the same types of temptations. Doesn't mean all your insecurities will go away. You'll still wake up the next day to the same. Battle. The reason is because even though you have given your life to Jesus, your mind is still full of this world. The only way to renew our minds is to replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. The word for transformed is the Greek word that means metamorphosis. This is like a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and comes out as a butterfly. It takes time. But the caterpillars transform from the ugly bug to the beautiful butterfly. And the same is true for us. We can also be transformed by renewing our minds. The only way for this kind of transformation, the renewal of your mind to take place, is for us to make spending meaningful time alone with God a priority. It really is urgent that we spend time with God. I was thinking about this, why we... Don't put spending time with God on the top of our list like we do other things in our life. I was thinking about it. Here's what I wrote down a couple things. I said, "Why is it important for you to get to work on time?" Anybody want to give me any reasons? Why is it important for you to show up at work on time? So you won't get in trouble, right? It's a good reason. What happens if your boss sees you get there late for the next month? You might not be there anymore, right? New boss might be around the corner for you. Why is it important to even have a job? Money, Money, right? We need money to take care of our families. It would be nice if I could just sit around all day. Now, I know some of you think I do, but it would be nice if that was the case, but we can't, right? Why is it important to pay your bills on time? So you don't lose everything you got, right? As a matter of fact, one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me in my childhood, I hope my mom don't listen to this. I'll never forget one time I got up and we were getting ready for school and we didn't have a vehicle in the yard. And my mom said, somebody stole it. Well, come to find out a couple years later, I didn't know any different. I was a kid. Yeah, they came and stole it. It was called repo and we didn't pay the bill on it, right? That's what happens if you don't pay your bills. Why is it important to put gas in your car before the tank is empty? Listen, we could put all sorts of things on this list, right? I think you get the point. If you don't do these things, there are consequences. However, when it comes to spending time with God, we think that there are no immediate consequences consequences. No one's going to get fired. No one's going to evict us from our house. However, there are immediate and long-term consequences when we don't spend meaningful time with God. Listen, we don't learn. We don't grow. We don't become more like Jesus. We don't change the world for Him. What happens is we see these other things in our lives that are extremely important, but they have real, evident consequences that will affect everything in our life. And when we think about spending time with God we think it really doesn't have that much of an impact we'll get to that another day somewhere down the the road we'll finally spend some time we'll catch up when we get a chance I gotta go to work I gotta make money I gotta pay my bills now hear me friends yes you do have to do all those things but can I let you in on a secret though you may not always see it the consequences of you not spending time with the creator of the universe has a much larger, immediate, and long-term impact on your life. Why do we not see it that same way? Listen, Jesus is a model for this. He knew the importance of spending time alone with God. Luke 5, he finds time. Mark 1, all throughout scriptures. In fact, many of the greatest movers and shakers throughout the Bible spent time alone with God. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Jonah, David, John the Baptist, Paul, Jesus, spending time alone with God enables us to see things as God sees them, which in turn clarifies what we should do and why God asks us to do them. If we can see as God sees, such as seeing things that are good and bad for our lives, then we too would choose the good rather than the bad. We will be able to see as God sees so that we will be able to do as he says. Paul says, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I was was thinking about that and I thought, man, when we want... To do as God does and live as he wants us to live. We can only do it if we spend time with him growing and learning and changing. So I wrote down a couple things. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. Just some disciplines that I think as followers we can practice to renew our minds. They're nothing groundbreaking. Here's the first one. I think you got it from everything we talked about. Read your Bible. I put an exclamation mark there so that you would think I was screaming it at you. I guess I could have put it in all caps. I think that's what all caps means. Listen, the Bible is more than a good piece of literature. It is active. It pierces to the deepest parts of our soul. God's Word reveals the true sinful condition of our hearts to help us see where we are wrong and what needs to be changed. It teaches us God's values and standards so that we can align our lives to His. It also teaches us how others have been successful in following after Him. I read a story not too long ago. It was about a young girl who'd been born blind. After she learned to read by touch, a friend gave her a braille copy of Mark's Gospel. She read it so much that her fingers became calloused and insensitive. In an effort to regain her feeling, she cut the skin from the ends of her fingers. Tragically, however, her calluses were replaced by permanent and even more insensitive scars. She sobbingly gave the book a goodbye kiss, saying, Farewell, farewell, sweet word of my heavenly Father. In doing so, she discovered that her lips were even more sensitive than her fingers had ever been, and she spent the rest of her life reading her great treasure with her lips. Would that every Christian had such an appetite for the word of God. So you say, Danny, how can I do it a little better? Let me give you a couple of tips. I don't care what translation you read. I don't care if you want to argue with me about it for days on end. Can I tell you something? Reading a translation that you can understand is much better than not reading anything at all. Just find something that you can understand that will allow God's truth to penetrate your heart. Find a time and find a place. You got a schedule for work, you got a schedule for family, you got a calendar for your events, you got places you got to be, you got things you got to do. We make time for for what is most important to us. Amen? Amen. We can certainly find a time and a place to spend with God. Can I tell you something else that's so simple? Listen, just start small. I don't care if you read the entire Bible in one day. It will not do you any good. Just start small. Process what the Lord wants and start living out what you learn every single day. Can I tell you something else? Pray, pray, pray pray. If I could just continue to write that word to see how many times you would fill in the blanks for it, I would have done it. Pray. Prayer deepens our dependence on God. It transforms our hearts into God's heart. Listen, let me give you a few things that I just think are, are helpful for me. You say, Danny, wh- how should I pray? What should I pray? Uh, you know, wh- What should it look like? What words should I say? Here's just some tips for me. If you're not sure what to pray, Man, pray through the Scripture that you just read because you made time for what was most important to you. Pray through it, whatever that might look like. Lord, help me to be like the person I just read about. Lord, when I face a trial, remind me that it's a test of my faith to be stronger to you. Lord, help me forgive as you have forgiven me. Whatever Scripture you've read, pray through it. Pray through your day. Help me at work. Help me at home. Help me lead my family. Help me share my faith at this particular event. Pray through your day. Pray through your relationships, family, friends, boss, co-workers, neighbors. I've heard it put like this before. Pray for people. It creates love. Pray for problems. It creates concern. Pray for situations. It creates care. You want to know what the author who wrote that is trying to get across to us? When we pray... It creates God's heart in us. Pray. 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 Let me give you another little hint. Write everything down. Anybody else in the room like me that like if you don't write something down that your spouse was telling you yesterday, you forgot all about it? Like it was just gone. Like just right? Like that's me. I don't care if it's a simple little, hey, I need to ask you a question later today. Okay, reminders. It's a question later, some point in time. It needs to write. Everything down. Start a notebook for the things that you are reading and you're praying. I'm not talking about write down your reminders. You can find an app for that. I'm talking about write down what the Lord is showing you as you spend meaningful time with Him. If it's in the in, in the Word, write it down. If it's in prayer, God put something on your heart, write it down. If it's a challenge, if it's a a, a, a conviction, if it's a confession, if it I don't care what it is, write it. Down. There are things that you will write down that you may never, ever say. Also, listen, it'll help you remember and keep up with what God is doing in your life. Here's some examples. Write about the scripture you read. Write about uh, what the passage said. Why it's important. What I should do about it. How I can remember it. Write prayer requests. Write thoughts about anything at all. Do some here journals and work through that process. Write everything down. Listen, I know this is a little challenging, but here's another tip I would give you. Memorize scripture, memorize, memorize as much as you can. The way we act is directly connected with what we think. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Do you know where sin begins? It begins in me. And before it ever happens to anybody else, it happened in here. The battle's here. The battle's here. If you're not winning it here, you are certainly not going to win it out here. Memorizing Scripture helps us to replace the evil things with the good things of God. You know how I think about memorizing Scripture? Any of you ever say an ugly word when you were a kid? What'd your mama do? Anybody else's mama took some soap and put it in their mouth? Anybody else like that? Mama said, That's a dirty mouth. I'm going to wash it out with soap. Anybody like that? It's kind of gross, would not it? Yeah. Some people just like eating soap. All right, maybe so. You know what I think about with memorizing Scripture? God saying, hey, you got some dirt in there. Why don't you let the soap of my word, my truth, why don't you let it clean it out? Here's some tips that I think might could possibly help you. Choose Scripture from what you read. It's a little bit more relevant to you. Place it in... Places that you look at a lot, start small, right? A lot of things out there that you could be trying to memorize that would be difficult. Just start small, one a week, short, powerful verses. Listen, these things are not groundbreaking. You say, Danny, I've heard these things my entire life. I agree. Can I ask you a question? How many of them do you do? You say, Danny, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. Every now and then I do it. (laughs) Danny, I know I should pray. I try to find some time during the week. Danny, I know it's important for me to write down what God's doing in my life. I can't tell you the last time that happened. Danny, I know it's important for me to memorize Scripture. You know what I've always thought? I wonder how many people can quote as many Scriptures as years that you've been a Christian. Wouldn't that be a fun test? You say, Danny, I'd be in trouble. Well, you know what I would say to you, friend? Start now. Hey, can I tell you something? Maybe your mind's dirty. Maybe your heart's dirty. Maybe your life is dirty because you haven't been washing it with the word of Jesus. Start now memorizing Scripture so that God can change you. Listen, will you surrender your life to God and allow Him to guide you? Will you seek to renew your mind so that you are not squeezed into the mold of this world? Here it is, last thing. For those of you who got to finish out the outline, I'm with you. We need a change of perspective. I don't know that old Chris would have went anywhere without that butterfly walking around the orange. Can I tell you something? I don't think any of us are going to go anywhere until we spend some meaningful time with God either. We need a change of perspective because if I could see what God sees, then I could do as God says. That is a transformed life. Can I tell you something? If you only do half of this, you're missing it. Danny, I see what God sees. Are you doing it? Hey, I know the right answers. Are you living it? And I know what I should be doing. Are you? Because transformation will never happen until you start.